0: Welcome to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Joining us today will be journalist and author David Giffels. David recently released a book called Barnstorming Ohio. Ohio has correctly picked every president since 1964. David will tell us who he thinks will carry Ohio this time. Jasmine Kendrick will also be joining us. She is co-host of a radio show and podcast with Shantae Young called The Way with Jazz and Tay. Jasmine will provide her observations on the town hall debates last week. The Way with Jazz and Tay airs at 7 a.m. every Thursday morning right here on KKNW. They are two very energetic, smart, and delightful young women. If you hear anything on Voices of Experience that you would like to make a comment on, call 425 653-116 653-116 and leave your message on the Voices of Experience hotline. That's 425-653-1166. We will begin today's show with the return of Azadine Downs, who is the president and CEO of the International Fund for Animal Welfare. One of the major goals of this worldwide organization is to help animals and people thrive together. I first ask Azadine. Has anything positive occurred in the animal kingdom as a result of COVID? Is that there's some good news, I guess, for the animals, lack of a better way of defining it, in the COVID-19 world?
1: What we're seeing is that the world is quieter, cleaner. The water is cleaner, quieter. There's an upside and a downside to this, but the lack of tourism is a concern because tourism provides a lot of revenue which we can talk about but it also serves as sort of citizen rangers you know when there are people out there looking at wildlife uh, it reduces the incidence of poaching Uh, but the upside is that we are seeing uh, wildlife rebound in places that perhaps were suffering from too much tourism but also from And so this notion that we're in a dire strait, and this is what we always hear uh, in terms of the data that comes out, but nature will bounce
0: back. Yeah, and one of the things that you also mentioned is about the, the normal, return to normal is unacceptable.
1: Yeah, you know, this is a really interesting point, I think, that you hear many, many people saying, you know, we need to get back to normal. And there's a lot of discussion in the international fora, about returning to normal and then people trying to redefine what that normal is and sort of falling into their own traps, honestly saying, well, things like wildlife trade. And that relates directly to COVID-19 and coronavirus and where it came from and zoonotic uh, diseases. Uh, And suddenly people said, well, we need to stop that, but then realizing, oh, Our policy platform previously was to promote what they call sustainable trade. And you can't have
0: both. And you suggest that economics drives everything. And we just need to begin to look at it that way, that there's a cost for everything.
1: If you look at the history of conservation, the word itself, to conserve, right? So what is it that we're going to conserve? And if you look at when it was really launched as a movement, it was a reactionary response So much damage had already been done, and that was the beginning of we need to turn around, we need to reverse the damage to wildlife that has been done. And so that return to that normal uh, was already pretty grave. And unfortunately, I think at the same time, the economics of conservation were driven by a notion of sustainable use, that it has to pay for itself. And that if it doesn't pay for itself, it has no place in nature. And I think ultimately, we're finally learning that that notion is bankrupt.
0: Do you see the mission at all of IFAW changing as a result of all of this? Are you getting up in the morning going, we need to go in a different direction here?
1: We focused on two things, rescue operations and conservation. So when the pandemic hit, We were concerned as an organization of whether or not the economic downturn would have a negative effect on us. What we did early on was to say we have to focus on the frontline workers, the people who are involved in rescue.
0: Do you think people are getting your message for um, conservation and for doing the interventions that you do to save animals? Do you feel we're at a better place now than we did years ago when you started these efforts?
1: Scientists don't like to make the connections unless there's all of the studies that back it up, and sometimes those studies can take years. One of the most important things that relates to our work is how much carbon is kept in the ground and how wildlife contributes to a healthy environment by sort of massaging the soil, if you will, and keeping the grasses in place and stopping erosion.
0: Are there countries that have really jumped out ahead? Are there are a few that you could mention that just really are getting your message now.
1: We have had very good relationships with people in Kenya for for a long time. Kenya takes a lead on a lot of these issues amongst uh, African countries and if you if you had to sort of look at the the geopolitical landscape it would be the southern african countries that Are the pro-use, the pro-trophy hunting, and they were discussing how difficult it was to uh, get involved with the establishment of national parks and if there were communities in or around the park. And um, one of my colleagues from Southern Africa said, "Well, I don't think you understand how difficult it is. There is a village of 300 people living on the edge of the national park, and." where we're negotiating with them whether or not they should move and we could give them other land. I don't think you understand the complexities of the problem. And my colleague said, oh, no, no, we, we do. We, we also have a small village of 3 million people living on the edge of a park. And so, you know, you look at a country like India that has over a billion people, they understand what it is to live with wildlife. And yet have a very, very, very different approach about the value of a life. And, you know, for some of the religious uh, communities, they worship the elephant as a god.
0: Yeah, is there anything else before we go? I think you've covered a lot of great information here.
1: You know, uh, sometimes people ask me, well, what can I do? And, you know, people are living all around the world. And if you're living in the United States, it's like, well, what can I do in, in Africa or in Asia? But, you know, there's one thing that you can do, and that's connect to nature. And it can be small, it can be in your garden, it can be going for a walk, it can be taking the time to look, to look around. There's so much going on in nature that you have to slow down. You, you have to connect somehow. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a new grandfather, and I have a little guy now he's two years old. And when we take a walk, we say hello to every tree, you know, <laughs> he's becoming a little tree hugger. But it, it, it starts with this notion that there's life all around us. And if you can connect on a very basic level, I think some of the complex issues become simpler.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the uh, bottom line. It has to start young. And yeah. if they grow up in that environment with thinking that way, it's going to be a lot easier for people to buy into it because it becomes part of them.
1: Well, that's right, as opposed to seeing it, you know, we're not separate. And I think that that's what the pandemic has really taught so many of us. We're not separate. We're not separate. And uh, that notion has been disproved.
0: Yes, anybody can get it, right? That's right.
1: We, we, we brought a lot of these things on ourselves because we weren't willing to share the space. You know, when you have, uh, when you have the viruses, zoonotic diseases jumping from animals, to humans, it's, it's one of the outcomes of, of not sharing the space.
0: That's President and CEO of the International Fund for Animal Welfare, Azadine Downs. Visit their website at ifaw.org and find out how you can make a contribution or read about the incredible work this organization has been doing for the last 50 years or both. That's ifaw.org. Journalist and author of a book called Barnstorming Ohio, David Giffels, toured his home state of Ohio to find out what was going on in the minds of the residents. In terms of presidential elections, as Ohio goes, so goes the country. Ohio has voted for every presidential candidate who has won since 1964 and has picked the correct presidential candidate in 29 out of the last 31 elections. David will tell us who he thinks will carry Ohio this time, but let's start out with a conversation he had with a union president.
2: I spoke with a union president in Lordstown, Ohio, where GM had closed down a plant. And he said, If your car was assembled in America, I don't care if it was built by a Japanese car company or any other company, if if you helped an American keep food on his or her table, that's what's important to him. That's mindfulness, and it's making a decision that's directed toward an American ideal. I had a completely different conversation with a farmer in the middle of Ohio, a soybean farmer, and he was talking about Americans you know, more and more not having any notion of where their food was manufactured in the back room of the grocery store. But he said, Try to stand where your food comes from, especially your fresh food, because if you're buying local, you're supporting an American way of life that you're damaging if you buy from the lowest bidder or wherever.
0: Are we as fractured as it appears that we are? That's a great question, because what I found is that as I talked to people,
2: especially as I made clear that my my main intent was to allow people to speak for themselves on their own terms and not quick hit as like a political type or to pigeonhole them to fit something that I was trying to do. I wanted them to tell me their story. Um, And when they were given that opportunity, no matter who they were, and no matter how alike or different they were from me or anyone else, I came away with a sort of a reinforced notion that we are still more alike than different. As Americans. And while I was doing this project, the New York Times last year ran a big special section uh, where they wrote about this project that was conducted by two social scientists. And they used some kind of an algorithm where they gathered together like 80 Americans who represented the entire spectrum of American political ideology. And they brought them together for a weekend retreat in Texas. The main takeaway from that weekend was most people said they didn't come away feeling like their minds had been changed, but they came away feeling like they understood the other side better. And so I came away feeling and I feel now I would be very comfortable with a Black Lives Matter and a Blue Lives Matter sign in my front yard. And most people would say that either means I'm a hypocrite or I I don't know how to take a side and yet those things especially when i think about them in my experience of trying to really understand my country they seem much closer than they seem apart you know, Well, i think the, that people the, the who moment, want
0: division who thrive on division on both sides i'm talking the extreme left the extreme right would say that mm-hmm. but most people who'd walk by your in front of your house would nod their head and go i get it
2: yeah, and I think people who in, in political life, I don't know if I'd say they want this, but they sort of need questions to have an answer that's one side or the other, a simple two-sided coin, because those play well in slogans and speeches. But most of us as human beings are more full of contradictions than we are of simple sort of clean lines. You know, um, I know this in, You know, when I self-examine as you a know, writer – um, the more I write about something personal, the the less in a way, the less I understand it. But the more I realize I'm probably getting closer to the truth of it.
0: Now, one thing I want to ask, and it's going to be a little bit nasty, maybe. I don't mean it to be that way, but I want to ask you a question yeah. about this. And that is, in my estimation, Trump has been a horrible president and his biggest supporters are the ones that I believe are dying and getting sick at the fastest rate. they are the front lines of the bus drivers, and there are people working in hospitals who have to go out in this every day. What am I missing there? You've been out there. Educate me. I, I wish I could. A lot of
2: interviewers have been asking me to predict the outcome of this election, which I thought was the hardest question right now. Your question is harder. Um, I'm forthright early in the book that I did not vote for Donald Trump and about where I am on the political spectrum because although there's a lot of journalistic work in this book, it's a book with a point of view. But the point of view is not to, to side politically. The point of view is to try to understand people who I don't understand. And one thing I write about and something I've been talking about a lot since the book came out is that if one member of a family voted one way in 2016 and another member voted the other way, each of them thinks the other is crazy. And that's within families where people already kind of understand each other. And when you step beyond that, I think large numbers of Americans think another large number of Americans are just plain crazy. And I wouldn't blame you for thinking that somebody who votes for Donald Trump is crazy because I happen to have a hard time understanding that vote myself. But that's me. And I want to understand somebody who did. Why would somebody who seems the most vulnerable also support this person? Intellectually, it's a very interesting question. And I know that the same questions can be asked of the left and the far left. How can you choose socialism in a country that's not a socialist country? Just as an example, you know, when you look at the extremes, a lot of the people who I've been able to talk to reasonably about a vote that's different than mine. Expressed the same kind of ambivalence and um, weren't thrilled about their choice in 2016 on both sides. So, you know, I go back to this feeling of people being more alike than different, but it's easier or it's, you know, it's more dramatic for the extremes to get the play. So I know that doesn't answer your question. Um, I don't think there is an answer to your question, but if there is, a smarter person than me will need to get it.
0: Well, yeah, I'm just saying um, I can understand 2016 Trump's appeal. I mean, he had the I'm not politically correct. I tell it like it is and that um, I don't talk down to the people or, or whatever. I'm going to drain the swamp. I, I get I didn't agree with it. I, I was frightened and shocked that he won. I, actually, I wasn't that shocked because I did go to a Trump rally and I'm not going to go through that. But I went, hey, this guy's got a chance. Anyhow, um, but having Mm. just said that, he's so opposite of the people that you go talk to. He grew up in New York City. He was born on third base. He talks down to the military. I would think that a lot of people in Ohio and myself were very supportive of the military. He did all those things, and he's continued to do this. Now we throw on the virus, and he still has a chance to win this thing, and that's what I'm trying to— come to grips with is, how is that possible? And I guess what you're saying, there is no real answer there. Because I don't think the people were crazy who voted for him in 2016. I understood. I didn't agree with it. But I understood the frustration. This time, I can't. This is where I'm just going, you got to be kidding me.
2: Yeah, the subtitle of Barnstorming Ohio is to understand America. There probably are far fewer complete buy-in people, especially on that side of the divide, than it seems.
0: Well, uh, very interesting. I'm going to go to the bottom line and ask you the question, who's going to win the election or who's going to win Ohio? Yeah, It's going to win the election.
2: Yeah. So I will say, you know, Ohio's numbers are pretty uncanny in terms of its track record of choosing the president, 29 of the last 31 elections and every election since 1964. A few weeks ago, it was taken as a given that Donald Trump had have locked up. Um, with each passing day and week, it's now neck and neck. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
0: Well, I wish that David had a more encouraging assessment of what will happen in Ohio, but at least it's headed in the right direction. Next up, Jasmine Kendricks, co-host of The Way with Jazz and Tay. She watched the town hall debate, I didn't. So Jasmine, you are my eyes and ears. So what were your impressions?
3: We watched Trump's, Trump's was on first and uh, we didn't catch like the first half of it. Um, But I will say that we, what we liked about the town halls was that whoever the moderators were or the people that were there to kind of, you know, help structure the event, um, they really challenged the, the candidates in a, in a really good way. So One, they re-asked a lot of questions that didn't really get answered from the first debate, like with Trump's uh, resolution for Obamacare. And then they wanted Biden to elaborate on this, the whole fracking or no fracking thing, you know. So that was really fun because, not really fun, but it was important because those things didn't really get addressed over the whole talking over and the mess that it was the first debate. So having the town hall, having them do it separately I feel like was better, even though I don't like that they're changing things. I feel like that's a tradition that needs to be upheld. Um, no, what do you mean? You mean the style,
0: to... the uh, format that they changed it that yeah. way? Well, it was Trump, yes. wasn't it? Who wouldn't do it? They would exact- do it. Anyhow, but please continue.
3: No, no, exactly. He said he didn't want to do another debate when he didn't want to do a virtual debate. Right. And then he, and then he decided he was going to do like a town hall instead. And then Biden's going to do a town hall on the same day. And it's kind of like, well, why don't you guys just go back at the beginning and do the debate? <laughs> you know?
1: Sure. You bet.
3: Um, yeah. But it was, um, I feel like it was way more informative. Um, and I was able to hear their answers more more clearly. And they were articulated. They probably had more coaching, of course. But um, the the people that were there to moderate i wish i remembered their names but trump had this um this woman that was there with
0: him and i think i can get she, help you there her name's savannah guthrie nbc thank you. she was the one who yes. interviewed trump and i heard very good yes. reviews on how she handled that what's your take
3: yes i was actually just gonna say that you know she did a very good job at not really letting him interrupt or talk over her let alone the people that were there asking questions and After he finished um, an answer that uh, somebody in the audience might have um, questioned, sorry, when he answered a question that somebody in the audience might have answered, she went ahead and then challenged his answer by saying like, okay, so, you know, you pointed out A, B, and C here, but what about um, D, A, B, C, D, E, when you completely contradicted what you previously said, Mm -hmm. you know? So I really, I really did enjoy that. She really stood her ground compared to how Chris Wallace was getting walked all over the first time.
0: Good, um, Good to so, hear. Good yes. to hear.
3: Yeah. No, definitely. It was a really, really well um, constructed event compared to the first time around.
0: So So I think then you went over I to got, ABC and then saw, uh, I think it's George Stepanopoulos ho- hosted that one or was the moderator.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, um honestly, the same kind of thing, you know, luckily with Biden, he doesn't have too many issues with being like, you know, talk, talking over, but, um, I did notice with Biden and I noticed this a lot with Biden, he'll get really passionate about his, his answer or his response and he'll get ahead of himself. And so then his, he he might start to like stumble over his words or they kind of mush together and that was happening Quite a bit, so there was a few times in which you know he was giving an answer, and you might have missed a couple things that he said, and that's solely just because of him trying to get his thoughts together. You, you know? Are you
0: aware that he had a speech impediment and a stutter growing up? And no, really, yes, yeah, see, he really worked on that. When he was in high school, he could barely put sentences together. He was ridiculed, but he oh did God. go through a lot of uh, training to speak in a manner that he mostly can. And I think that's a lot of it. And a lot of people say that this is like senility or, you know, dementia and things right, like that, which it right. is not. You know, I, I don't no. believe it. I I have some experience in this area. My mother had Alzheimer's. I was director of the Alzheimer's mm-hmm. Association in another life. Got it. Uh, so I have some knowledge of that.
3: Yeah, I, I had no idea about the speech impediment history and the stutter. I really didn't. Um, and it's actually, knowing that, it's incredible that he is as, articul- as articulate as he is. Um, and I just thought, you know, like, watching it and hearing that, I thought it was a matter of, like, passion and excitement. He was just so, like, I know what I want to say, and he has so much to say about it. And it was just kind of, like, coming out so fast. You know, that was that was how yes. that came off to me. Yeah,
0: he, he can yeah. be a gaff machine. He can get too excited, and he's made some gaffes that way, but... Basically, I take it he's just a very decent man, and his opponent is the exact opposite.
3: Opposite, right.
0: (laughs) So, anyhow, Um, well, I'm glad you're brave enough to watch it, and uh, braver than me, because I think I've told you I just, I could have watched Joe Biden, but I'm voting for him, and as I said, I think he's a very decent man, and of course his experience is amazing but I can't handle Trump. I just can't even watch him anymore. And so that's it. So I'm glad you were braver than me.
3: You know, I think what it it mainly is for us is that this is our first year really going into things as we're trying to be as educated as we can, you know, as voters. Um, I don't know why I didn't take it very seriously four years ago because I was very much as well eligible to vote. Um, But because of what's been happening, I've, we've made sure that we're trying to be informed and educated and paying attention, even even to, you know, like the opposition, because even though we, our minds pretty much made up, it's still important to know because, what you know, he could still end up winning, you know, and these answers are still important because they might. Actually, still end up affecting us for the next four years. Well, you're right. He, he could win, and that's <laughs> so
0: scary. The fact that this guy has done what he's done all these years, and I'm not going to do the yeah. deep dive into this again. But the fact that this guy's even got a chance is absolutely scary enough. And that's yes. the Halloween yes. part that scares yeah. me the most. You know, <laughs> yes. the the this won't, guy won't go away. My thanks to Jasmine Kendricks. For sharing her observations regarding the town hall presidential debates that aired on the two different networks, next week, Jasmine's co-host Shantae Young will be talking with the president of the Co. Pet Clinic, Marty Casey, which provides veterinary care for homeless and low-income people in King County. Marty also happens to be my wife. The Co. Pet Clinic has been around for over 30 years. My thanks to David Giffels. His book is called Barnstorming Ohio and it is available on Amazon. I wish he would have been more encouraging that Ohio would be in the bag for Joe Biden, but at least he is closing in. If Ohio does go the other way, I hope the string of 52 years is snapped. And again, thank you to Azadine Downs, President and CEO of the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Visit their website at ifaw.org. That's ifaw.org. If you have been listening to this show for any length of time, you know I am not neutral on this election. But I do want to make it clear, though, that my opinions do not necessarily represent the opinions of my guests. There is nothing I can say at this point that will change your mind anyhow. What I will say, though, vote for Biden and Harris. Do not vote for a third party. In the end, that will be a vote for Trump. Too many people voted this way in 2016, and look where it got us. Any comments? Call Voices of Experience Hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. One last comment. Continue to take COVID seriously. The virus is spiking up everywhere. Do not let your guard down. Have a great rest of the week.